Brewers baseball fans, welcome to episode 64 of the Mike Fires edition of the View from Bernie Chalet podcast. Today is Thursday, May 2nd. 2013 in Germantown, Wisconsin. I am your host, Jason Donlinger, and joining me, only one of my two uh, epic co-hosts in Whitewater, Wisconsin, it's Bradley Ford. Brad, we are Alex Less. Yeah, he had to go on an awesome, uh, what what is it, frolfing adventure? Disc golfing drinking adventure, I think. The way I would sum it up from what he told us last week. Yeah, but I mean, still sounds. At least he's out having a good time. So we'll just hold down the fort without him. Yeah, which I I think we can handle, and uh, I'm sure he's having a good time, and uh, you know, he'll be has safe travels, and he'll be back uh, with us next week. So two man two man show this week, not a triple threat. So uh, you know, we're doing things a little differently. We're just gonna have one segment here, and then a wrap up segment, and try to get the hell out of here before the game starts tonight. Uh, and speaking of the game tonight, they're starting their uh, four-game series with the St. Louis Cardinals, who they trail by one and a half games in the National League Central currently. Uh, Brewers coming off a two out of three series victory against the Pittsburgh Pirates to start this homestand. And uh, ugh, it was uh, a little rough yesterday. That, uh, that should have been a sweep completed, but... Uh, Johnny Axford, uh, once again, had a rough outing. And I'm not sure if you saw the replays. I did go back and watch them because it was something McCalvey brought up. But, A, the home run that was hit was ridiculous. It was one of those pitches where it's at your shins and they just golf it out, which I mean, it happens to every pitcher. Sometimes people really crush a pitch that's pretty far out of the zone, and that's what happened there. So that tied it up because that went to Marte. And then there was a dribbler that I think could have either gone as an air or a hit. And then Ricky Weeks had the air that let the winning runs it through. So that was kind of the summary of Axford's day was, you know, he's been pitching well lately and he just, the luck didn't go in his favor this time around. Yeah, I was in the car driving home from work. I left work early. I had to, uh, run to my village hall to get a building permit. So I had to actually leave work early because they close at four. Yeah. Because okay. so, city is, halls are never convenient for anyone. Exactly. It's like, hey, if you work a normal, you know, day job, uh, you have to take your time off of your work to come get a pit permit or whatever you need. So anyways, that's besides the point. So I was driving home and I heard it. And, you know, the Indian actually started with those are my dogs. Uh, the inning started with a uh, a broken bat single, a little broken bat infield single, and then Marte hit the home run. So, um, yeah, dogs are making me lose my train of thought. <laughs> Anyways, the home run. Hey, shut up! <laughs> Quiet. All right. So <laughs> this is this is professionalism at its finest. Actually, funny thing about that. Segwaying real quick. Who's the bald? Baseball analyst on ESPN. They currently have a promo running where he like does push-ups and like is wearing like a hard rock shirt. Oh, 
But you mean football? You're talking about John Clayton? Oh, John Clayton. Yeah, it's football. But I heard they, he just did an interview with Mike and Mike, and they were like, "Hey, how often? Or how real is that?" And they're like, "Oh, my life isn't really real, but apparently, like, he has a dog, and he would get into the run of it that constantly interrupts his live shots on ESPN because he does his live shots from like a in-home studio." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently, I mean, you're just the future John Clayton because you constantly have dogs that interrupt our podcast. So yeah, pretty much. But, so it is uh, professionalism in some ways. <laughs> slightly. Uh, Going uh, back to it, Starling yeah, Marte yeah. hits a home run. <laughs> yeah, after the infield broken bat single, and then, I mean, yeah, it was kind of a bad luck inning, and I saw Weeks, you know, kick that ball, and it was some bad luck, but it's just so. It's just again like here we go with X right. It just makes you think like actually as soon as the first bat, I think it was Travis Snyder, got that broken bat in Phil Sam, just had that feeling like that bullshit hit is gonna start like a bad blow up inning. And it did. You know, it really did. And it was just one of those unfortunate things. And he had all those consecutive outings in a row where things were looking good. And, um, yeah, it's just you feel bad for Axford. And then he had some comments afterwards about, you know, uh, they asked him about the booze and it, do they get to him? And he said no. But, you know, he said they have short memories and he kind of dissed the fans, which, you know, he does on Twitter, people that attack him personally, which, you know, we already talked about that, I think, two weeks ago. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I Hopefully that it doesn't ruin his confidence and he's – going out and pitching good. I don't know. Yeah, that actually started a wave of uh, Twitter support for him, uh, at least on my timeline. It was people like, hey, don't boo him. You know, he's a guy who's we want to perform in good situations. We want him to be in those stakes, so stop booing him because that's not going to do anything for his confidence. So we all heard, like, a few of the other beat writers and a few people who are just fans kind of all sort of this I support John Axford movement online, which was nice. But, I mean, just it sucks because when he does have those bad luck innings, because, I mean, go back and watch the video on that Marte home run, and it, it you should never hit a home run off a ball like that. It was, he, like, sw- I swiped it from ankle height and just literally golfed it out of there. And then... um and to center, and to center field, it was deep. Yeah, I mean, I mean you maybe tip your hat to the guy and say, "Wow, hell of a swing." Yeah, exactly. It's just a a guy getting a good hit on not a bad pitch, but a pitch that shouldn't be that hittable. Um, and I mean, because the game wasn't broadcast, a lot of people can't see that, and a lot of people, because it is John Axford, because he does have that history, are just so quick to jump on him because their patience is gone. They use most fans used all their patience already last year, so now it's just, well, let's get on him because things aren't going right. So we gotta hurry. He we can't support him anymore because he's screwed up so much to us, in our opinions. I mean, Grant, he has screwed up a lot. He did have, especially in the beginning of the year and, as we all know, all last year. But the guy's been on lately. And, again, like, you watch the video from yesterday and you can see it's a lot of that is just unpreventable stuff that's not his fault. Yeah, and really, you wonder if all the success he had in 2010, and specifically 2011 when he went on the, like, 49 saves in a row if that actually hurt him because now 
Brewers fans feel spoiled. And he was just so good for so long that now that he's gone through this, you know, rough part of last year and now a few bit, some bad outings this year, if it just uh, sits with people more like, hey, why aren't you just automatic anymore? You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's frustrating for pretty much all fans in MLB right now because the only person who's guaranteed to be a closer back-to-back in the last few years is Mariano Rivera. And now even he, after he goes, basically it's going to be one huge closer carousel because no one it seems no one can hold the uh, the spot for more than two seasons. I mean, even Craig Kimbrell has had his rough spots this year. and It's just... It seems to be a position that definitely gives people a very short career life. Yeah, and with Kimbrell, it's like he is another guy. Like last year was such an insane year, and even even 2011. But last year was just like just un unremarkable. I mean, it was just insane how good he was last year. So this year, you knew there was going to be some regression just naturally because you can't be that good back to back years. Yeah, it's just uh, the numbers are not in your favor. It's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of things that seem to be impossible, what the hell has gotten into Unieski Betancourt? He's juicing! No, I don't mean that. I don't ever want to start rumors about anyone juicing. But, uh, no, ridiculous, right? I mean, what's the dude slugging, like 560 right now? <laughs> uh, 570 slugging, a 279 average, uh, a still very Uniesque 297 on base percentage, though. <laughs> Uh, but that's still an 866 ops, uh, seven home runs, 22 ribbies, playing pretty good defense at third base, actually. He's made some really nice plays. Uh, he, Man, I mean, I was at the game Tuesday night, which was the 12-8 to 8 game. And, uh, you know, as the game Ricky Weeks broke out, had three hits, hit that opposite field home run. But, like, when Weeks hit that, like, I was still just thinking about Betancourt's opposite field home run earlier because I couldn't believe that my eyes <laughs> saw a Unieski Betancourt hit a ball that hard, that far to the opposite field. It was insane. And then I think it was an inning later is when he made this ridiculous diving play at third, got up, and was able to throw the guy out. And um, I'm not one of these people. I saw this thing on Twitter today, starting doing a, like a campaign to have him be an all-star, write his <laughs> name in. I'm not quite there, but I just got, wow, he's been awesome this year. I mean, he really has. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, his average is way above career levels. Um, he already has her as many home runs as he had last year and in most of his major league seasons. Uh, he almost as many RBI as he had last year in half the games. Um, it's funny. Uh, something Hodgecourt said yesterday on the radio um, was everyone just had it wrong the entire time. He was supposed to play at first base the entire time. And as soon as they put him at first base, he started playing like a first baseman. He found his power stroke. He's playing defense. All of a sudden, he looks like an actual MLB player, not just this MLB clown that he's been. I even made the joke yesterday that well, when Hart comes back, he probably should start union left field. <laughs> or uh, Hart will go back to the outfield. <laughs> uh, it's just... um, obviously. <clears throat> go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, he's been so good that you wonder if they didn't have him, if they didn't pick him up, who would be filling that spot right now? And, you know, you have to imagine – it wouldn't be someone who's performed as well as him. I mean, like Alex Gonzalez seemed like he was going to be 
the guy doing what Uni's doing, you know, and he's been pretty awful actually so yeah. far this year when he's played first or third. And Uni is just um man. I mean the on base percentage is still terrible like we would all expect. He's only got three walks <laughs> in uh twenty five games, ninety one plate appearances, but that's uni. But if, if he can keep hitting for average and hit some home runs, I think he'll be more than happy with that. And then, you know, he's only going to make the he'll make the bench better once Ramirez and Hart are both back. And, uh, of course, Ramirez is going to be coming back. He's going to be activated. And, you know, of course, I mean, it's on, it looks like uni is going to be playing just about every game at first now. He's going to be taking over for Gonzalez or Maldonado. So Yeah, and that's, I mean, I remember Renicky said that. And, I mean, it's nice because he's part of one this group of unlikely characters carrying the team offensively right now. When you have people like Braun struggling, I mean, Braun actually has had a good past week. Um, but before that, he was struggling. And then you had... People like Uni Betancourt, uh, Martin Maldonado help keep the crew afloat, um, especially since Maldi's been playing first base a lot because Gonzalez was dealing with uh, somewhat of an injury. And two, you just need to get Gonzalez a break because he was clearly not in a good place with his 190. Uh, I think it was 190 batting average when he was bench slash injured. So he's uh, he's definitely had a rough go of it, as you mentioned. But it's nice to see that when, I mean, people like Hart and Ramirez are injured and Braun's not carrying the team, there there is there are more people that can help carry the team and perform and keep the Brewers in contention. And that's where they are. I mean, and now the starting pitching is the least of the problems, and offense is doing great. There and the only thing big problem that's still sitting there is there are a few concerns in the bullpen but nothing big yeah the the starting pitching has been okay there's still some improvement that needs to be made there and the bullpen has had some issues but there's quite a few guys in there that have performed well that i think we can all have confidence in when they come into the game and uh the offense is scoring a lot of runs hitting a lot of home runs just like we would expect and the fact that they're doing it without you know, two all-star caliber players in Ramirez and Hart, it's it's pretty amazing. And, uh, I mean, I see yesterday, you know, Gomez and Betancourt went back-to-back again. and For the second time in that series, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just like, wow. I mean, I just I, – I, I don't even know what to say about Uni anymore that he's been this good. I mean – You can't even trash talk him anymore, which used to be, like, one of the best hobbies for a Brewers fan. It was probably the mm-hmm. only highlight about him coming back was, oh, at least we can still rip on him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just – it's almost at, like a loss of words, a loss for words on what to say about him. Now, Carlos Gomez is another guy who um, I think we all expected – quite a bit out of him this year based on what he did last year, but he's even exceeding expectations. And I don't expect him to keep up a 367 average in a 1063 OPS, <laughs> but uh, if he continues to put up numbers, you know, obviously that'll level out a little bit, but uh, man, five home runs so far this year, 10 RBIs, um, you know, his four stolen bases, and like I said, the 367 average, a 418 on base. He does have five walks, only 17 strikeouts. He is not striking out a lot, which is good. 
He's putting the ball in play, putting the ball in play to right field a lot. I mean, he just—he's been amazing to watch the you know turnaround he's had the last three years. I mean, really in 2011 you could start to see some of it start to change, and then last year he kind of really put it together. And now he's like almost taking it to another level. Yeah, and I wonder, I kind of wonder if it's about him just having success the last two years in that platoon role that he got to be in and just finding a groove, even though it was against left-handed pitchers. It kind of feels like that success helped him build up to this because as soon as he came on that platoon, he was still having a ton of success and the success just seemed to continue from there. Uh, I mean, he's probably the bright spot of the Brewers team for me right now, him or Loesch, because I, uh, as much as I didn't hate the Loesch signing, I didn't like it either. And he's right now proving me wrong, still early in a three-year contract, but I'll enjoy it while it's happening. And, but Car her go-go is just doing ridiculous things. Like you said, um, just the fact that he's still slugging over 600 for a guy who's never slugged 500 in his career is fantastic. He has five homers, which like uni is one of the higher numbers of his career. Um, this early in the season. Yeah. I mean, he's got six doubles and two triples as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he's been an extra base machine. Um, I think he leads the MLB in a lot of categories. Um, I did see a tweet actually about that earlier from Mike Vassallo. And it, I mean, yeah. it's just this, he's having an MVP type season. Really? He's got, uh, he's got 58 total bases that leads the club in a, a 184 yeah. OPS plus. I mean, that's, that's crazy. But he's second in batting average, third in slugging, third in OPS, fourth in total bases, sixth in on base percentage, fifth in hits and seventh in extra base hits in the NL. And this is a Carlos Gomez where two years ago we were damning Doug Melvin for trading for Carlos Gomez over J.J. Hardy as we were trying to figure out our shortstop situation. Mm-hmm. And now we have Carlos Gomez and Gene Segura, and yeah. really the J.J. Hardy trade could not have worked out better in the long run because the J.J. Hardy trade led to Alcides Escobar playing. Alcides Escobar ended up getting his playing time, ended up helping him be a key trade piece in the Zach Greinke trade, which ended up getting Gene Segura. So really one guy turned into Carlos Gomez and Gene Segura if you go the long way around it. Yeah, it's quite the trickle-down effect <laughs> when you break that down, those trades. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us looked at that trade at the time and even a couple of years after the trade said, Oh man, I don't know about that. Melvin got hosed, you know, giving up Hardy who, although Hardy did not play well for the twins went on to Baltimore and has been very good. Um, you know, we had Gomez and it was just like, God, you could always see the talent in the guy, but he just never put it all together. Well, now he finally has put it together and they've got him signed to a fairly team friendly contract. If he can continue this upward swing and he is 27 right now. So he is hitting his peak or his prime right now. So if he gives us three, four years similar to this or similar, even to last year, uh, boy, it's going to be awesome to watch him in center. Um, let's see. What else do we, yeah. Oh, the, of course, uh, the Brewers option down Chris Davis to triple a, which is probably the best thing they could have done for him because he has pretty much just sat on the bench, hasn't had a chance to play much, and when he has played, has looked pretty awful at the plate because, like a lot of young guys, when they get called up, 
and they try to be this pinch hitter guy, they're not used to having so few at bats and they can't seem to flourish in that role. And he did not at all. So he got option down yesterday, but then today they made the corresponding move. They uh, um, activated Jeff Bianchi off the DL. So he's going to be on the roster now. So we have another shortstop. <laughs> Just so we need the four shortstop on the roster. Um, yeah. But that's good though. Cause that can give Ricky a couple days off. Um, he has, um, he just has a little bit of def- more defensive ability or more comfort than Alex Gonzalez, who, of course, has been well advertised, hasn't played many anywhere else besides shortstop until this year. So he gives you that comfort. Also, Alex, he might bring a better bat than Alex Gonzalez right now because Alex Gonzalez, after all, is batting 164. So, I mean, you can add her. Hopefully that helps the team out because you are getting... Uh, you're losing a guy who, yeah, he had a lot of pop in his bat and potential, but he really could only play one position. And of course, it's a position he's almost never going to play unless there was that one game or like one small stretch where Braun was dealing with neck stiffness. Um, so Chris Davis goes down; he could only play left field, and now you're getting Bianchi, who can play all over the place and might not have the pop potential that Chris Davis has, but at least has the defensive range to help the team and get guys days off. Um, I would still like to see Alex Gonzalez get a majority of those starts, but it's still, I mean, he's such a value guy in just the places he can play. And two, he's one of the few guys on the bench who's used to coming or being a bat off the bench. A lot of the other guys on there, like Logan Schaefer, uh, Lolly, Alex Gonzalez right now are guys who's have spent well Lolly is probably somewhat used to it but otherwise they're guys who spent all their major league careers starting I mean Schaefer of course only in the minors but they're guys who aren't used to sitting down for most of their playing time and not getting to see and then just having to get up all of a sudden be ready to hit so that's something you get out of Bianchi is an experienced guy off the bench who can work counts and hopefully get that pitch to hit and do some situational hitting. Um, because the only guy who seems to be especially good at that right now is Maldonado, and that, of course, is... They've been using him more often now that they have Lolly as another catching option, but uh, he's been getting a decent amount of starts, too. Um, but at least now you have a guy who knows how to come off the bench, because that is a skill set a lot of people have to learn when they first start becoming a utility-slash-bench pinch hitter. And I saw, a, I think it was a tweet from Hodricourt, or maybe it was on Brewers.com, that uh, they may use Bianchi in left field, too, if, if they need to. Renicki said he'd feel somewhat comfortable with him in left, but that's the only outfield position. So uh, he may end up playing out there if need be, like if Braun would, God forbid, get hurt or just need a day off or... And they also play Schaefer. Well, of course, they have Schaefer, so I don't know why that would happen. But yeah. maybe it's just a, a, a emergency yeah. situation. They play Bianchi out and left. Same thing as uh, Schaefer is the emergency fourth catcher. And then, two, in other good roster move news, Ramirez, according to all reports, should be ready to or should be back on the team starting tomorrow. And I'm guessing that's the end of Lally then on the roster. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Is is it the end of Lolly or Josh Prince? Oh, I <laughs> Josh Prince. I'm, they must have forgot him on the bus because I forgot he was up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, he he, you know, he's a guy who's got some versatility. He can play 
you know, um, pretty much all over the infield, say for first and catcher. And he also can play outfield. So I don't know. And he's got speed. I know they've used him as a pinch runner a few times this year. So when Ramirez comes back, uh, that's got to be the next roster move. I is think, it Lolly or Prince? I think it has to be Prince just because Lolly's appeared in four games over the last week and Prince has appeared in none. Yeah, I wonder if it's Lolly being a left-handed bat, just another left-handed bat. I think that helps, that... too, and I think Ron Renneke also loves the ability to use Maldonado's bat off the bat. Right. To have it, to have Lolly as that third emergency catcher, kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, Maldi just has such a good and major league-ready bat that it's a great thing to have come the eighth inning if you're in a tie or you're under by just a couple runs and you have runners on. You get a guy with some pop and who's comfortable hitting and who's also getting regular play time so he can come off the bench and hit right away. Well, and Maldonado, too, you know, he was he struggled a little bit uh, at the start of the season, but now he's come on. His OPS is up to 722. <laughs> so, I mean, he started to hit a little bit, too. Um, yeah, it would probably be Prince that goes down, and then I would assume at the end of the month when Hart comes back that then um, – uh, Lolly is the obvious choice there, right? And then your bench is Gonzalez, Betancourt, Maldonado, Schaefer. And then Bianchi. And Bianchi, yeah. I mean, that would that would seem to be the bench then. Um, well, I would think, actually, if they didn't want to go with three infielders, or three infielders who can all play shortstop, which is a, a nice thing, in my opinion, is having three guys who can move all around the infield. Um, I think actually it might be a toss-up between Bianchi and Lally, just depending on what they're comfortable with at that point. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be Lally too, but again, I think Renicky just loves the ability to use Maldonado. And that left-handed bat's nice, but you do have Schaefer almost regularly on the bench. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't think Renicky. I mean, Renicky's never shown to be a matchup favoritism type of guy anyways. Um, I mean, this year he has been a little bit more, but I mean, it doesn't seem to be the make or break point that it is for some other managers. Although he doesn't mind burning a pinch hitter every now and then. Right. Um, is Bianchi out of options though? So like if they, I'm pretty sure. Cause didn't they get him off of waivers last year? Yeah, I think so. So where's I mean, my media guy? The media guy shows. <laughs> Yeah, if they're comfortable losing him, it's a possibility that he could be the one instead of Lally. But, um, you know, if if Taylor Green was actually healthy, that would make things even probably more complicated. But since he's done for the year, they don't really have to worry about that. Which, I mean, like, we've come into this problem many times this season, which is kind of the nice thing about getting the injury problems out in the beginning of the season, is it's nice to have these problems. It is. It, it, you know, guys performing better than we kind of thought um it's not a bad thing to have you know not a bad problem to have uh an interesting thing well not interesting but of note here with Ramirez being activated tomorrow uh reading a tweet now from Hodger Court that uh for a while at least um Ramirez is not going to play uh back-to-back games oh wow or wait, wait wait let's see here when Ramos Ramirez comes off the DL likely tomorrow, Brewers manager Ron Renneke said he won't play complete game or back-to-back for a while. So they must want to ease him in. But that makes me think, then, why not just 
well, I guess having his bat in the lineup a little is better than nothing. But if you're going to not let him play back-to-back or you're going to not have him even finish games, is it maybe just better off keeping him on the deal another week or two? I don't know. I think so with the way the other performers are. Because they're, they're scoring runs yeah. without. <laughs> it's not like you need him for the offense. To rush it, him back. Like, if the offense was struggling, I think you'd be dying to get him back there immediately. Yeah, and, I mean, if you're just going to burn through pinch hitters and bench players like that i just don't see the purpose um i know they want to be more careful because this is his second sprain and a sprain of course is every time you sprain a ligament it's tiny very very minuscule tears and they're probably afraid that that sprain will eventually lead up to a tear because i heard that they are pretty much going to stop him at first every time unless it's something a normal player could stretch into a triple um, and he's not doing any sliding practice. They are basically told him, like, if you have the option, just don't slide. So he is running the bases like a pitcher right now. Um, which, again, so you know, it's like, it worth it. Uh, it'd be like in softball when a guy that has bad knees or a big fat guy gets a single, they use the courtesy runner for him, the guy that made the last out to run for him like that's what they'd like to do for Ramirez or Ramirez yeah <laughs> see if I'm write a letter to Bug Selig like hey since you're out the door anyways why don't you make this bad decision courtesy <laughs> runners and then you could keep Josh Prince up because you'd get all the playing time in the world um <laughs> I just uh I don't know that actually kind of disappoints me because I'd like to see him get more opportunities to play i mean it's always great to have ramirez in the lineup again but i mean too if you just want to start getting him used to game time why not just send him on a rehab assignment for a week too and then like use that to strengthen up the knee and get the bat worn back up before he gets back rather than just having to burn through pinch hitters and bench players all the time that's a good point but uh, I, th- I think they maybe were going to send him out on a rehab, and he kind of was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, that's the way I read it. Like, I, I forget which Brewer's site I read it on. But, yeah, it was like, uh, we were going to send him out for, like, a week of rehab. But he was like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to go. And they just were like, okay, we'll, we'll listen to you, I guess, even though you're the player and we're the boss. But um, what about Kyle Loesch? He has been phenomenal, to put it, you know, just about right. He's been phenomenal. But uh, – Cannot score, cannot get any run support. It's reminding me a lot of Ben Sheets circa mid 2000s. <laughs> and uh, Chris Capuano, too. They both had oh, a yeah. problem. Yep. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're going to have problems scoring runs, you might as well do it for the best starting pitcher on the staff right now. Um, I mean, through five games, the guy has two losses and a 2 5 3 ERA. He can't. I mean, what is the, he supposed to do? And he's only walked two in 32 innings. Um, I mean, he can't. He literally can't do anything else to help get himself a win. Yet here's Gallardo with a 4.06 ERA and three wins, and Losha sitting there with two losses and one win. Um, it does. It also seems that he's always going against like the toughest pitchers, like Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> Kershaw was dealing on Sunday. I, uh, that that was just one where Loesch didn't probably didn't even want Gola mound. Like why? Why even? It's just a lot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, at least he's keeping you in games. You can't ask for more than that. It's just you do need the offense to start supporting him and picking them up. I'm sure that's frustrating for him as a player. 
at least it's not an, another contract season for him, but uh, at least his performance has been awesome. But like you said, they got to get him some support or uh, even when he does get support, then they end up blowing the lead and someone else gets the win later on because they go on to win it later. It's just, it's been frustrating for him and I'm sure it's frustrating for other people too. Yeah, you know what else has been frustrating is Marco Estrada and the ten home runs he's given up in uh, in thirty five and a third innings. That's <laughs> the uh, me- his his ERA and all his stats would probably look a hell of a lot better if he even cut that in half. I oh, mean, so- a lot of the runs he's given up have been off of home runs. Yeah, there's a there's a reason I did not start Marco Estrada in our fantasy matchup this week because you and I are of course going head to head in our fantasy league. Uh, and I was like, I could start him. No. It it turned out to be worth it because he gave up like four bombs. So, um, I mean, I mean, he's, he's given up 18 earned runs and given up 10 home runs. So, I mean, you just do the math there. I mean, I, I don't know how many guys were on base and all those, but it seems most of his runs are given up on the home run. So if he cut those out and it, that was kind of the thing last year too, he had a really, really nice season, but it could have been like uh, like almost a great season. If he, it's the home run ball has been his problem the last few years. Yeah. He's, you know, he gets strikeouts. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, although this year he's walking a little more than he seemed to do last year, but uh, well, actually, his, his walks right now, yeah, his walks right now are right on average. His walks per nine is one point eight, which he had one point nine last year. Mm, um, although, I mean, just with the smaller numbers, of course, that does seem a little bloated because you look at seven right. already through six games, and he only had twenty nine last year. So it's, I mean, neck, side by side, you're like, man, when he went, but he also only won a hundred more innings last year because he spent so much much time as a reliever earlier in the season. Um, but his home runs per nine is nearly double because it's scary that he would have give up 10 home runs already, already leading the league in that category. And he had 18 home runs given up last year and 18 is a lot in just 23 starts and uh, 138 innings. 10's a ton in, in six starts, especially when mm-hmm. he's only gone, only averaging about five innings a game. I mean, that is scary bad. That's uh, Braden Looper home run size category. Um, yeah, that's that's the name. I, when I was at the game Tuesday, you know, he, he gave up, you know, home runs again. And I was like, man, this is getting to Braden Looper level almost. But but then at the same time, like I said, he he's striking out almost a batter per inning. You know, his walks are fine, and he doesn't give up a lot of, you know, just hits. It's just the home run ball. The long ball has been his problem, and I don't know how he can solve that problem, but if he can, you know, at least keep it a little under control, he, you know, could end up having a, a really nice year again. I mean, in a four five eight ERA isn't terrible. It's not the worst. I mean, really, the staff right now, Peralta's 5.02 ERA is the worst, and he's, you know, had some really nice outings, and he's had some outings not so good, but he's looked the last couple times out better. So the starting pitching has actually been okay, solid. There's room for improvement. You know, Burgos <laughs> has been really good in his three starts. Loesch has been very, very good in his five. Gallardo's had, 
You know, he's looked like yeah. the really good Gallardo at times, and then he's looked like the Gallardo that nibbles and walks guys and then gives up big hits. Really, and since then, the DUI, Gallardo's been fine, yeah. which is kind of lame because it shouldn't yeah. be DUI to make it perform. <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, other than, like, Burgos has been a surprise for everybody, and other than Burgos and Loesch, there's been a lot of inconsistency, which is, of course, a little concerning. Um, but really, over this last period where the team's performing really well, everyone's doing better as a whole, which is nice. Uh, Marco Estrada's probably been the worst, I think. Peralta, since Peralta was pulled before the fifth, I think he's been acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you'd definitely like to see more out of him, especially after his 2-4-8 last year. I mean, I'm not expecting that to be duplicated, but you could at least have an ERA under five. Yeah, that and, you know, with his stuff, you'd like to see more strikeouts. He should be able to miss more bats than he has so far. And I don't know if it's maybe a conscious effort on his part to, you know, pitch to contact more, to keep his pitch count down so he can go farther in the games. That could be part of it. But a guy with that mid to upper 90s fastball and how his breaking stuff can be pretty nasty, I would just expect, you know, a better, you know, strikeouts per nine. But, you know, that, there, there's room for that to change this year yet. It's it's early. So. Yeah, and, I mean, clearly he's been having a lot of trouble with location. And, of course, when you're not locating well, it's easier for people to lay off those borderline pitches. Um in what's nice is over the last two starts, he went 12 and two thirds. So he's going six innings in each start, which he is a guy known to go pretty deep in the starts. So you'd like to see him start hitting six, seven, eight innings more consistently. He has a three, five, five ERA in that time. But again, you know, five strikeouts and 12 and two thirds, and then four walks to go along with that. So you, like you said, you'd like him to do that. And also, I mean, he's always been kind of a high walk guy, but it'd be nice once he starts locating, I think uh, I think he just needs to get in that groove. He's always been kind of a slow starter in the minors. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been years where you watch him and you're like, oh, how can this be the top prospect? He has an ERA over six, and then he always ends the year with an ERA around three. So he's just that type of pitcher. I mean, he's basically the Aramis Ramirez of pitchers as far as his minor league line show. Of course, we still have to see if that holds true in the majors, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I I like what the starting rotation's been doing uh, court, uh, lately. I mean, it's as long as they're keeping us in games. That's I mean, don't allow anyone in three runs exactly. and just keep us in the game. That's all we're asking out of you. Yep, they're not they're not really getting the games they've lost this year. Haven't been, there haven't been a lot of them because the starter blew up in the first couple innings. It's usually they they just have a mediocre start and we don't score runs or the bullpen has been giving up later in the game, but you know, scoring runs has not been an issue at all, especially over the last, you know, two or three weeks, save for facing Clayton Kershaw and scoring zero runs or that uh, game in San Diego where they uh, had a hard time. But um, yeah. And really since they went off their nine game losing streak, the only games they've lost are normally due to, it seems air and more times than not Ricky weeks air. Like there was that game in San Diego Mm -hmm. um, where it was, or it would have been one, one, but the winning run was actually because Ricky weeks not only dropped a pop up, but then tried to throw a runner out at third, that he shouldn't have been trying to throw out. And 
that ended up going out of play and scoring that runner. So, I mean, there's just a lot of difficulties like that. Um, <laughs> really, it seems if you're looking at this team as a whole, the weakest link is Ricky Weeks. Um, but I think he'll get better. I think he's... Ricky's just Ricky. We we take the hard times with the good, because when he's good, he's yep. really good. He can carry the team for a couple weeks, or he can look completely lost at the plate and give you nothing for a few weeks at a time. So he looked awesome on Tuesday, and hopefully, you know, we start seeing more games like that than, you know, the over fours or three Ks. So, um, well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we will wrap it up. We'll uh, preview the week ahead and name our Shelly Award winner for Brewer of the Week. It's episode 64 of the VFBC podcast. You're listening to the View from Bernie Chalet podcast. Remember, you can always follow Jason, Alex, and Brad on Twitter at I am Jason underscore D at Brew Crew Beat and at Brew Crew Blue. Remember to follow them on Twitter and join in on the Brewer conversation. View from Bernie Shelley Podcast, episode 64, Jason and Brad. Wrapping things up, going to preview the week ahead for the Brewers. Uh, tonight, the Brewers start their four-game series uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals at home, Miller Park. Cardinals coming in first place in the NL Central. The Brewers a game and a half behind. Cardinals are going to send Jake Westbrook to the round. He's 1-1 one one with a .98 ERA. Willie Peralta goes for the crew. He's 2-1 with a 5.02 ERA. Uh, then in game two of the series, Friday night, uh, Shelby Miller will go for the Cardinals. He's 3-2 and two with a 2.05 ERA. Kyle Loesch goes for the Brewers against his old club. He's 1-2 and two with a 2.53 ERA. Uh, Saturday, a uh, matinee, 3 o'clock start, 3.05 start. Adam Wainwright going for the Cardinals. He's 4-2 and two with a 2.03 ERA. He uh, absolutely dominated the Brewers uh, in St. Louis earlier in the season. Uh, Giovanni Gardo going to go for the crew in that one. He's 3-1 and one with a 4.25 ERA. Uh, then they will wrap things up Sunday, 1-10 start. Jaime Garcia going for the Cardinals. He's 3-1 and one with a 2.50 ERA. Marco Estrada going to go for the Brewers. He's 2-1 and one with a 4.58 ERA. Uh, funny thing about that, I'm going to that game, and this is going to be like the third game I've seen Estrada pitch this year. <laughs> every game I go to, it's kind of like Randy Wolf for me, I think, two years ago. It's like every game I went to, Randy Wolf started. Now, one of the seasons where I went to a ridiculous number of starts, I swear every start was Jeff Supon. And I was like, no, why? Yeah, I, that was their the 2008 worst. season. But yeah. this got rewarded because in the second half I got a ton of CC starts. So that, but I That's mean, good trade off every other game. So yeah, it's a good <laughs> trade off. Um, and then the Brewers will be off Monday, and then they'll finish up this long homestand with a uh, quick two-game series against Texas Rangers. Uh, first time in a long time that they're coming to Miller Park, so that should be a good series. Going to the get going to that game Tuesday night was disappointed to see that Darvish starts Sunday, which means of course he will not be pitching at Miller Park. Would have really loved to have seen him up and up close and personal. Yeah, so. but as a fan, do you mind? <laughs> no, as a, as a Brewers fan, no, I'm glad they don't have to face him. But as a fan of baseball and a fan of Darvish because he's on my fantasy team and just a fan of his because he's awesome, it would have been cool to see him in person. So, um, And then after that two-game series, they got Thursday off, and then they're going to hit the road 
starting off in Cincinnati against the Reds. So that's the uh, week ahead. Uh, no Alex this week with us, so we are not doing around the NL Central. That's his baby. We don't touch it. And uh, Brad, the uh, Brewer of the Week, Shelley Award winner for week number four. Shelley Award winner for week number four. Um, of course, it's not going to be one of the big bets because either they're on the DL or off for or, you know, not doing well for their standards. But we're going with uh, a guy who a lot of fans are finally warming up to, and he's taking a second award in consecutive weeks. We're going with Carlos Gomez, who hit 500, hit on base of 560, and slugged over the last week 1,091. Of course, it's 191, but, I mean, when you're slugging 1,000, that's one hell of a good week. He had a ton of extra base hits, drove in five, scored 11 runs, had two stolen bases. Uh, you can't ask much more from Gogo. So, damn. He's probably, if not the most fun guy to watch play in the Brewers, because, you know, Braun obviously is probably the most fun to watch because he's just the best and most talented. But Gomez is right there because he's also very talented, plays at such a high energy level. You know, one swing he can swing and miss and corkscrew himself into the ground. His helmet almost flies off. And then the next pitch, he, you know, hits the ball very hard to right field or does take it deep and running around in the out. I mean, he just does everything at such a high intensity energy level, but to the point where it's not looking as out of control as it used to. It's like he's starting to slow the game down, yet he still looks like he's doing it very fast, if that makes sense. But yeah. he's not as crazy anymore. Actually, I think as much as I do love Braun as a player to watch, I think Cargo uh, it might be more entertaining for me personally to watch. Just because mm-hmm. I mean, even I mean, he even has this still ridiculous amount of high energy when he's rounding the bases. And Braun, I mean, it's more contained. I think he got so much backlash because he came up and had a very cocky attitude when he first came up, and you know, I think he took a lot of guff for that attitude um Mm -hmm. especially from teams like the pirates who he faced a lot so i think he's kind of brought that in and contained himself where gogo i mean he doesn't really do anything that offends anyone but he does still pay or play with that attitude that's still fun to watch and you wish more players had um it's just really exciting, you know. Even, like I said, even when he's rounding the bases, even when he when he steals a base, there's just so much going on in what he does that's entertaining, and it's really just easy to enjoy and get behind him when he's doing well. And it's, oh, but also he doesn't do all that when he's not doing well, and or when he's not doing well and he's doing that. It's kind of like watching Jermichael Finley celebrate a three-yard catch when he's dropped three passes. Uh, That's a good comparison. Um, I would also say Gene Segura is fastly becoming very fun to watch with his speed, uh, also the power he's starting to show, just the good hit tool he has, and really how well he's played defensively, uh, I think better than he was advertised at the time that the trade first happened. So. Yeah, it, I mean, when he was advertised, he was supposed to be bad offensively or defensively. Then kind of had a bet that amounted to Alcides Escobar, which, I mean, you wouldn't be upset with a like a th- or maybe closer to Elvis Andrews in ability. Mm-hmm. Right but now, you know, he's starting to get comparisons to 
um, people like Starlin Castro, where you're like, oh, he has a lot of pop in his bat, and he's going to hit for a lot of singles, and he's not going to take walks, but he makes a ton of contact, so that's okay, because the ball's always in play. But the thing is, if he's like Starlin Castro, if Starlin Castro actually tried, which, I mean, clearly, because he's not on a winning team, and he's a young kid who wants to win, Castro doesn't put in a lot of effort, but Segura's on a winning team, and he's having a lot of fun, and he's doing much better defensively than anyone ever heard advertised that he would be. He's just been a ton of fun to watch too. Uh, still doesn't play with that type of attitude that her, car, her cargo has. Um, but I mean, you're not going to get that out of everyone. That's what makes go, go special. And right. also go, go has 85 nicknames, which is always great. <laughs> go me to cargo to go, go. Yeah. yeah. So you can call him 19 different things. He, but, I mean, I don't know. The young part of this team is just really enjoyable. Amen to that. Um, and I think with that, we will wrap up episode 64. Uh, actually, before we do get out, I do want to say one thing. Uh, today uh, is my four-year anniversary with my lovely wife, Jenna. Um, I don't think she'll ever actually listen to this, but uh, <laughs> she supports my... Uh, bad baseball habit and doing this crazy podcast and uh she's just been an awesome wife and um we've been together for 10 years married for four and uh it seems like only yesterday we had met so uh there's my sappy love moment <laughs> i'll raise a glass to uh, that for, yeah yeah and uh, of course uh we are expecting our our first child in september so um just uh i love her and uh Glad she puts up with me because I can be a lot to put up with at times. So, as we all know, yes, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin it. I just I wanted to voice her sympathy and be like, "Hey, we're there with you, sister." Touche, <laughs> <laughs> touche. All right, um, that's it for episode sixty-four. We'll be back next week, and uh, to tease it, we are going to have our first ever uh, giveaway. We. Uh, We've got a, a cool thing to give out next week. Uh, more about that on episode 65, but we're going to have a, a cool brewer thing to uh, to give out to one of you awesome listeners who uh, who put up with us every week and listen to this. So uh, thank you for that. Remember to download us on iTunes, um, also on Stitcher and um, the Beyond Pod Android app. If you have an Android phone, make sure you give us a rate and review. If you could on iTunes, that would really help. If not, that's cool, but uh, we would appreciate it. So uh, for Alex Wearsome, who was absent this week, for Bradley Ford, I am Jason Dowlinger. Our apologies to John Axford, who ran out of time. You have been listening to The View from Bernie's Chalet podcast. Go Brewers!